thing that will make God your enemy is pride, a proud heart. So they still didn't repent. The question is, what does it take for you? What does it take for you? See, it costs Jesus everything. And in our lives, repentance needs to be commonplace. It needs to be something that's very common. It's tough even for little kids. You think about a time when you've asked your kids to say sorry and they say no. Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In today's message, Pastor Mark teaches us that sometimes when we have walked away from God to do our own thing, pride gets in the way of us returning to Him. Other times, when an idol of work, money, or otherworldly thing does not fulfill or sustain us, we have a hard time admitting it. Pastor Mark points out that men's pride can be the single biggest stumbling block to restoration. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to say that we're sorry. However, to approach Jesus, we must humbly admit that we are sinners and bow low in contrition. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive from 1 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 7. We're just going to backtrack a little bit. It says, And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon our God. Therefore they sit and they gather to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. And so it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and then tumors broke out on them. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was the ark of God that came to Ekron. The the Ekronites cried out saying, They have brought the ark of God to Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and they said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So tumors, you know, some scholars say it was hemorrhoids. These guys were stricken with hemorrhoids. Um, The word Ashdod, remember what we talked about? Ashdod means inclination. So this was a crooked or a bent people. The ark first goes to a crooked people. God's power and presence goes to them to make them straight, and yet they reject it and they send it off to Gath. They didn't want the ark, so God's hand was heavy on them, is what verse 6 says to us. They got tumors, or hemorrhoids. So, they're with conviction. If there's not repentance, there's always affliction. Okay? And so when we see that, we're going to see that there's affliction. And so, you know, again, you could see the news lines of the, the daily newspaper in Ashdod saying hemorrhoids are running rampant in Ashdod. So they move, and in verse 8, they take it to Gath. And in Gath, it means pressed. These people were under pressure. 
And as we mentioned last week, remember who's from there? Goliath. So these people were probably giants. Um, They were probably bigger people, taller people. So again, I would assume that they get hemorrhoids. It's a giant problem for them. So they move it to Ekron, which means barren. And so here that word means uh, it's barren. So we have an empty people. They're empty. And so we got pressured people. We have crooked people. And the power and presence of God is being presented to each of these communities. Yet they don't want it. And each of these communities are rejecting God. And, and, And the Philistines represent the world when we look at this. This is the worldly people. And so the people were heavy, crooked, and empty, yet they would rather worship their own God. They'd rather worship Dagon um, instead of God of Israelites, the one and true God. And so they're broken without hope. And we see this, and kind of like their God who represented them, broken without hope. So they stay this way for far too long. Look at verses, uh, verse 1. It says, Now the ark, in chapter 6, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. And so here, you can imagine someone staying in their rebellion for seven months. I mean, that might be something tough for you to, to realize and understand, but, I mean, for seven months being in rebellion, being living in sin for seven months, hiding your sin in your heart, not letting anyone know that this is going on and in keeping it undercover. And so pride, what pride does is it makes it very difficult, very difficult to repent because you get in, you get caught up into your sin. You start doing that little thing that you hide. You don't want anyone to know. And all of a sudden it gets tougher and tougher over time to repent. And so that's what happens here. These people like the man-made, you know, like they, you know, they're thinking with this ark, like, man, you know, we got a man-made God he falls in front of the one true God, and yet we're still going to live in our sin. We want to send it away. We don't want the power and presence of God because that requires us to change. And anytime there's sin in your life and there's pride, that pride, it's all, it all roots back to pride. If you can't get rid of it, it's because you're too proud. You, you don't have trust in God. You, you don't trust him. You don't have the faith to allow him to reign supreme in your life. So that's what happens here. And so again, pride makes it very difficult to get real and repent. These people are like, man, we made this huge mistake, obviously, by taking this ark and capturing their God, so let's get him out of here. You know, and, and again, you see how they can think that the Ark of the Covenant, we talked about that last week, would represent, since it represented God to the Israelites, the Philistines actually thought they had captured their God. So they wanted Jehovah God so they could worship their God. So they could worship basically themselves, in a sense. And if they admit that Israel's God is more powerful, well, now you've got a problem. You're going to be embarrassed. It's a little embarrassing. They have sores. They have these tumors, problems, and their God cannot fix or heal it. Can't fix or heal them. And they realize that their God is insufficient in their time of need. How many of us may have our own little deity And you might realize that, man, he's a little insufficient. My little idol can't do it. And so pride keeps you from repenting. And I would say if that's the case, maybe today, that's my prayers that this message speaks to us. And that we say, you know what, let's just get real and repent and worship the one true God. But it's crazy how hard the heart can get. And today you could be convicted of something. 
that's wicked or rebellious, and you resist the Spirit of God. That could happen. That's a possibility that could happen here today. Revelation 16, 8 through 9, if you want to turn there, if you're taking notes, judgment is being poured out on the world. And we see God's grace is still active and hearts are so hard that God is dumping his wrath on the world and the world in his wrath declares, I'm not repenting. If you look at that, those verses, you will see that. The way this is written is in a curious wonder, like, can you believe that they still did not repent after all this happens? Let me read it to you. Revelation 16, verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his own bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. It's like, man, they didn't repent and give him glory. How could this happen? Why would they do this? Pride. The one thing that will make God your enemy is pride. A proud heart. So, they still didn't repent. The question is, what does it take for you? What does it take for you? See, it costs Jesus everything. And in our lives, repentance needs to be commonplace. It needs to be something that's very common. It's tough, even for little kids. You think about a time when you've asked your kids to say sorry, and they say, no. Anybody as a parent ever had that happen? Tell your brother, you're sorry. Tell your sister, you're sorry. No. It's like, seriously, bro? Because I'm about to scorch your backside. Just like the Bible. It's biblical. And then all of a sudden, you know, they might say, okay, I'm sorry. But I remember as a kid, my mom would tell me, and I'd be like, no. And she's like, I'm going to spank you. I'm like, go ahead. And she, just the look on her face was like, what? And she would go for it. And I would stand there, I would just tighten up. I, w- I wasn't going to give her the satisfaction of crying. And it seemed like it got harder and harder. And I remember I was just like, Ugh, and you're crying on the inside, wishing that was the dumbest decision I think I've ever made. So we should never hang on to our pride. We should more or less as Christians hold on to our integrity. Be honest, be transparent, be sincere. When you know you've blown it, when you know you've sinned, simply just say, man, I've blown it. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner and this is my sin. And sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to do that. My quiet times in the morning, I ask the Lord, Lord, will you search my heart and, and bring to the surface those things that are not of you? And then show them to me. And before, I'd be like, Lord, I just, I just ask forgiveness of my sin. But it's a whole different thing when you name that. When you name it. Not that we're naming and claiming anything, because I want to get rid of it. But I think the Lord really wants me to be sincere and very real with him in the mornings. And sometimes I go to another brother and say, hey, man, will you pray with me over this? I got this issue of sin in my life. And can you pray with me and, and, and stand with me in this? And I'm like, sure, man. I'd love to do that. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 3 says, So they said, If you send away the ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be, you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, 
What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors, five golden hemorrhoids. I mean, you got to think. Who modeled for those? Five golden hemorrhoids, five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. Kind of says something about the Philistine leaders, doesn't it? Rats, filthy animals. For the same plague was on all of you and all your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them? Did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore make a new cart. Take two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side and then send it away and let it go. And watch. If it goes up the road to its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Do you see what's taking place here? Anybody see it? Anybody catch what's, what's happening? Remember, these are pagan people. These are pagan people. Israel's enemy is aware of what it takes to have a relationship with the true and living God. The world knows what it takes to have a relationship with the one true God. And you might argue that all day long, but how do these guys know all this? There's some knowledge there. Listen close. You've got to understand, you've got to understand, most heathens out in the world do understand, they do know your responsibility, my responsibility to live righteous and the responsibility they have to live right. They know it. Talk to anyone that's a non-believer. I I talk to atheists all the time. I've got a couple of friends, two or three of them, that are actually, they'll tell you, I am an atheist. One's a religious atheist and knows more about the Bible than most people I know because he's constantly out there just trying to disprove it. Another guy was a Christian and became an atheist who got into knowledge, and then another one just grew up as an atheist, never read the Bible. But all three of those people, and it's not the only three, but you go out there, they all know our responsibility what and how we are supposed to live as Christians. They know it. Hey, I'm a Christian. The minute they see you blowing it, they're like, yeah, whatever. The minute they see you doing something that they do, that they think even may not be right for a Christian to do, but it's okay for them to do, you've lost all kinds of ground with them. You've lost their respect. And so they know that there's a responsibility for Christians to live a righteous life and that they have to live right. Every atheist I know will talk about how they truly, truly like about the Christian faith and like Buddhism, that they really like the fact of love. They like the idea of love. And when you ask where it came from, if there's no God, where does a moral right and wrong come from? They can't answer that very well. They give you different answers. 
But they know how we're supposed to live. They know they're supposed to live right. So what we see here is they choose, these pagans here, they choose to live right. But they choose to discard God. So follow with me. If you think about these verses we read up to verse 9, we see that these heathens know about God. They know about God. Everyone knows about God just about. Talk to somebody, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, cool. They know that God is involved in a sacrificial system. That's what we see here. They know that God is involved in a sacrificial system. Most of the world today knows that our God is involved in a sacrificial system. That is to be right with God. There needs to be some form of sacrifice. The New Testament tells us what? In Romans 12. To be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. So here they take this molded image that is shaped like a hemorrhoid. They cover it in gold. Gold is synonymous with faith. And so sacrifices are offered. That is an act of faith, number one. It's an act of faith. When a sacrifice is offered, it's an act of faith. Offerings are an act of faith. And then also, the sacrifice offering will be a complete act of faith for these guys. So they make this sacrifice offering. And so as they offer gold to God, they say, we know to please this God, it has to be a sacrificial offering. It's the same thing you know. We know. It's the same thing and the world knows it, and it doesn't do it, and we know it, the question is, do we do it? Do we sacrifice? He might be like, well, yeah, I'm sacrificing sleep right now just to be here. Sometimes the world knows better knowing what we know and not doing it, saying, I'm not going to do it. That's taking a stand. Yet we know it, and we choose not to do it knowing we should do it. Kind of get what I'm saying? I mean, some of you are kind of like, dude, what are you saying? But only do they know this God requires sacrifice for offering, and not only do they know that, but they also know this God is a graceful God from what we read here. We see that they understand that he's a graceful God. They say, who knows? He may relent. Who knows? He may be gracious to us if we give these sacrifices an offering. Maybe he'll lift his heavy hand off of us. So he is a God of sacrifice. But they also know that the God of Israel is a supernatural God. Well, I don't see any miracles being performed here. And yeah, there is. So they try this amazing thing for heathens. That amazing thing is they take two mama cows. Two mama cows that have babies. What they do is they remove them from their baby cows... And they put a yoke on them. They've never been yoked. And so the natural inclination for these two cows would be to return to their babies. These little calves that are mooing and banging over there, looking for mom, looking for milk. And so they're saying, if God is in this, they will go away. They will walk away from their babies, go over the hill, and go back to where God is from. So they they believe that he's a supernatural God. They believe in the sacrifices by what they offer and what they give. And so, think about it. These are the things that heathens know about God, Jehovah. We sometimes act like they have no clue about God. But in reality, they know a pretty good amount of information about God. How much information did you know about God before you came to him, before you were born again? Think about that. 
Now, some of it might have been a little twisted because somebody that fed you that information, or maybe you just picked up on it, or, you know, there are actually unsaved people in the church, believe it or not. They just come because they feel like it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. We've had kids. We should go to church. Live a good life. Well, that doesn't get you to heaven. It's a good start. But as we talk about often, you're still a dead man that's just cleaned up or a dead person just cleaned up. So the world knows a lot about your God. The problem is they don't see you living like you believe your God is a God of sacrifice, a God of grace, and a God of supernatural things. you got to ask yourself, do I live that way? Do my friends around me see that I truly believe that my God's a God of sacrifice? Do my friends around me see that my God is a gracious God? Do my friends around me see that I believe that my God is supernatural, that I believe in miracles and that God can do anything, heal anyone, provide anything for anyone? Do I believe that? Do they believe that I believe that? And some of you might be like, well, I don't know. You want to find out? Ask them. Just ask them. And be willing to hear that very real answer of no. I didn't even know you were a Christian. I've heard that before. I heard it the first time and I said, man, I'm never going to hear that again. I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell everybody I'm a Christian. That's a good start. But then it kind of holds me accountable because I have to live it. Because remember, the world knows a certain amount how we're supposed to live. And they're pretty legalistic about how we're supposed to live in certain things. But hey, if it can convert some, win one soul, just think about the party you helped throw in heaven. Just think about what you've done. So I would ask your friends if you want to know. You know, some of us work for companies that actually send out surveys. It's okay for a company to do that. Hey, how are we doing as a company? I do that. I go out and meet with people, with, with the company, um, my landscaping company, and I ask, hey, how are my guys doing? And sometimes I have to hear, man, they stink. Look at all these weeds. But, oh, man, yeah, I'm really considering of getting rid of you guys and going to someone else. Hey, bro, I don't blame you. I would, too. But will you do me a favor? Give me an opportunity to fix that. There's some repentance. Will you forgive me and let me fix that for you? Give me one week. In this place, I'll have it turned around. All right, man. You got it. The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. 
It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.